Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. This podcast is based on my new book, How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen, Nine Steps to Cultivating an Opportunity Mindset in a Crisis. The fact is, we all have and will continue to experience crises in our lives, some small, some large. That's just a part of the human condition. So it's not a question of whether we face crises, but rather how we respond to them. My Crisis to Opportunity podcast is devoted to exploring ways in which we can confront, respond to, and hopefully overcome the crises that arise in our lives. I come to this podcast with several emotions. First, inspiration comes from the many people I've supported through crises in my own consulting practice. Second, humility comes from facing my own crises and knowing how incredibly difficult they can be. Finally, hope comes from seeing many people in my professional and my personal life fall victim to a crisis, yet not become a victim of the crisis. Therein lies the power I wish to provide as we do a deep dive into the reality and the psychology of crises. So let's begin with a quote from Viktor Frankl, the noted psychiatrist. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In a response lies our growth and our freedom. I believe that quote really sets the tone for how I want to approach the exploration of crises. In his inaugural speech of 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our president, addressed the nation as it was being consumed by what became known as the Great Depression. One of his most memorable statements from that now famous speech is, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. FDR wanted to instill a sense of confidence, of calm, and of hope into citizens who were truly terrified of what had happened and what lay ahead for the U.S. economy and their own lives. What you may not know, though, is the full extent of this declaration. Quote, So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance, unquote. Well, FDR certainly had it right about that crisis. He realized that economic conditions and how we respond to them are influenced powerfully by the psychology of our times. FDR also knew that the panicked mentality that was overtaking our country at that time would prevent it from taking the actions it needed to recover quickly. Now let's move ahead to the early 21st century. The economic crisis of the late 2000s was dubbed the Great Recession. Much as the Great Depression was influenced by the psychology of its time, this more recent crisis, which many believe was caused by an unrealistically optimistic psychology, what the former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan referred to as quote-unquote irrational exuberance, quickly descended into what I called irrational despair. Once again, a mentality of fear took hold of our country and the world. That ineffective mentality made it even more difficult to weather the economic storm at every level of our financial system, from the global financial markets and national economies, to industries and companies, to individual investors and workers. Consumers began saving instead of spending. Investors were putting their money in safe places. Companies were cutting costs. Banks started hoarding cash. Countries imposed austerity on its citizens. So yes, absolutely, a negative mentality played a huge role in the emergence and long-term impact of the Great Depression and the Great Recession. At the same time, contrary to what FDR said, for many crises that we experience personally in our lives, 
whether global, societal, organizational, or individual. There was plenty to be afraid of and for justifiable reasons. These crises crises were exacerbated by psychology, but they were grounded in economics and finance. To a large extent, we were at the mercy of uncontrolled market forces, both small and large. Some of the forces lied close to us, for example, easy credit, reckless consumerism, and the housing bubble that many of us fell victim to. Other forces exerted themselves from the financial miasma, such as subprime and predatory lending, the creation of risky investment products, and over-leveraged financial institutions. Still, other forces imposed themselves from the halls of government in the form of economic policy, such as deregulation, the bailout of banks that were quote-unquote deemed too big to fail, and changes in monetary policy. What we now know is that in reaction to that tinderbox of global finance that was lit during the Great Recession, the pessimistic mentality fanned the flames and spread like wildfire across our country and around the world. We witnessed a race out of the stock market, investors withdrawing money reflexively, knee-jerk reactions from politicians, rioting in the streets, and, at a very personal level, hasty and poorly thought-out quote-unquote solutions by ourselves, and then at a broader level, by the governmental policymakers. As the crisis played out, we saw progress in, re- in, in response to the crisis in fits and starts, often, unfortunately, driven by political ideology rather than sound economic theory and evidence. As our country and the world struggled with moving forward and beyond its visceral reactions to a calmer and more deliberate answer to its problems. Yet, more than a decade after its supposed conclusion, the aftereffects of the Great Recession are still present, with individuals, companies, industries, and nations continuing to struggle between the calm voice of reason and the shrill voice of fear, frustration, and anger. Both the Great Depression and the Great Recession offer us wonderful and powerful lessons about the right and wrong ways to respond to crises that we inevitably will experience in our own lives as individuals, communities, nations, and the world. It's easy to get so absorbed in the powerful and visceral reactions that we feel when faced with a crisis that we often underestimate or completely miss the valuable lessons we can learn about how to deal with crises of all sorts in our lives. And most importantly, the power that we have to gain control of our own psychology when a crisis strikes. We can allow an unproductive mentality to overwhelm us, or we can embrace a positive, composed, and constructive psychology that can actually help us when a crisis arises in our lives, but also to prepare us for future crises that will surely occur. With that introduction behind us, we can begin with a basic question. What is a crisis? Now, before I go further into our exploration of crises, I want to take a step back and ask a simple yet profound question. Again, what is a crisis? The answer to this question may seem obvious, as we all know what a crisis is intuitively. It's when something bad happens, often suddenly. At the same time, I'm a huge believer in the power of words and how important it is that we all not only fully understand the depth and implications of the words we use, but also, given the many many meanings that any words can have that we are sure of having a shared meaning for those words. So here are a list of definitions of crisis that can be found in several dictionaries. One, a time of intense difficulty, trouble, and danger. Two, a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. Three, a crucial or decisive point or situation, a turning point. Four, 
an unstable condition, as in political, social, or economic affairs, involving an impending, abrupt, or decisive change. Lastly, an emotionally stressful event or traumatic change in a person's lives. Now, reflecting on these definitions, all of them add texture to our understanding of what a crisis is. But, in my view, none fully capture what a crisis really means. So, in an attempt to capture the full depth and breadth of what a crisis is and its impact on us, let me offer you my definition. I see a crisis as an event or situation that arises suddenly or reaches a tipping point in its severity that is the effect of significantly disrupting lives and threatening the status quo and that may also have long-term harmful consequences on individuals or groups. So now with a basic shared understanding of what a crisis is, let's explore some of the qualities of a crisis. Because for each of the definitions, they certainly vary in ways, but yet they all have common themes. So what are some of those themes and those qualities? First, crises are unexpected. They occur unexpectedly or reach a new threshold suddenly. As such, they produce a shock in us, and as I'll discuss throughout this podcast, they trigger an immediate, powerful, and often primitive reaction in us that in terms of modern crises don't actually serve us well. Second, crises, by the very nature, create instability in which what was once solid is no longer. For example, think of the crisis caused by the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. Certainly, the physical and economic damage was staggering but also was the psychological damage. Is there anything more that we trust than the ground under our feet? All of a sudden, that quote-unquote rock-solid stability was lost for the Haitians. Third, what was once familiar, predictable, and controllable ceases to be so. In its place is a sense of uncertainty that, was, that what was once counted on is no longer, where the past and the present can't be relied upon to predict the future. Fourth, the instability and uncertainty that emerges from a crisis are experienced as trauma in many forms, including physical, psychological, social, political, emotional, financial, and economic. This profound distress takes a toll on us. It exacts substantial suffering in the short term. Just as importantly, these crises produce a delayed and extended reaction that often isn't realized for years to come. Finally, the nature of a crisis triggers in us a sense of urgency, a perceived need to act immediately and with force in response to the crisis. The impetus behind this exigency is to control in the hopes of minimizing the damage that is wrought by the crisis and reestablish a sense of normalcy in our lives after a period of disruption and destabilization. It is these four attributes that make a crisis so challenging to experience and so difficult to overcome. Though crises often act as blunt instruments in our lives, they in fact carry with them nuance and subtlety that are worth exploring as we gain a deeper understanding of how they impact us and how we can respond to these crises. If we explore the linguistic roots of the word crisis, what emerges is a different and more nuanced understanding of what a crisis is that has very important implications in how we perceive, feel about, experience, and respond to a crisis. For example, the origins of crisis in Hebrew means something that is broken, but refers as well to a solution, suggesting a crisis is something that is damaged and needs to be repaired or replaced. Interestingly, crisis in Hebrew also denotes a birth, indicating something positive emerging from an episode of pain. In turn, the Greek der derivation of crisis 
Plenine has, ne has neither positive nor negative connotations associated with it. Instead, a crisis simply involves the need to form a judgment or make a decision. This meaning removes the threatening undercurrent of a crisis, and with it, presumably, the oftentimes negative reactions that crises provoke, and which can add fuel to the fire of the five qualities that are commonly associated with a crisis that I described above. Interestingly, as John F. Kennedy noted, when written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. One presents danger, the other presents opportunity. Taken together, the modern-day use of the term crisis at best doesn't do justice to its rich and potentially beneficial aspects. At worst, our contemporary use of the word crisis is so laden with baggage that its very reference creates a perception about and an emotional reaction to the situation that we deem a crisis that we begin our response to it from a decidedly negative, defensive, and counterproductive posture. My Crisis to Opportunity podcast aims to take into account both the origins and the current reuse of the term crisis as a means of broadening our understanding of the, of the experiences we label as crises and better positioning our perceptions and emotional reactions to crises. In doing so, my aim is to liberate us from the limiting and often harmful beliefs we hold about crises and the responses that occur within us when faced with a crisis and increase the range of reactions, hopefully more constructive, we have available in the face of a crisis. A quote from the journalist Ryzard Kapuscinski, when is a crisis reached? When questions arise that can't be answered. Now that we have a deeper and more complete understanding of what a crisis is, let's consider some examples of crises in our lives. The fact is crises can be experienced in every area of our life, from the pers personal to the societal to the natural. They certainly vary in their specifics, but they do share the common qualities that I just described above. Crises can be placed in a number of general categories, and let me list them here. Personal crises, for example, gender, emotions, substance abuse. Health, including illness, injury, aging, and dying. Safety, for example, harassment, violence, and property crime. Relationships, such as divorce, family estrangement, or death. Transition, from child to adult, single to married, new parent, or empty nest. Career, such as job loss, dissatisfaction, or return to work. Financial crises can include stock market crash or bad investments. Technological crises might involve hacking, identity theft, or cyberbullying. Corporate crises are comprised of deception, fraud, and negligence. Governmental crises can include politics, corruption, and scandals. Societal crises, for example, poverty, education, and healthcare. Environmental crises that might include pollution, unsafe drinking water, and food shortages. Finally, natural disasters, such as hurricanes, floods, and earthquakes. To conclude today's episode, my Crisis to Opportunity podcast is an exploration of all crises, large and small, physical and psychological, short-lived and ongoing, personal and professional, and individual, family, corporate, community, and societal. The reality is that we face crises of all sorts every day in the form of unexpected challenges, obstacles, setbacks, and failures. Moreover, crises are a test of our psychological, emotional, and social mettle. In a way, crises tell us a lot about who we are, because the best and the worst of us reveal themselves most prominently during the stresses of a crisis. Given the fact that crises are a normal, though certainly unpleasant part of our lives, 
If we can become masters of crises, then we become masters of ourselves, and in fact, life itself. From former U.S. President Richard M. Nixon, who had his share of crises, life isn't meant to be easy. Life is one crisis after another. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thank you for listening to Episode 1 of Crisis to Opportunity.